They already know that. They know I'm going to forget every time. Acts chapter number 2, and then we're going to look over in Ephesians uh, chapter number 4. Acts chapter 2, as the kids go out this morning for Children's Church, Acts chapter number 2. We're talking about, or we've been, uh, we've been preaching uh, about uh, our responsibility in the valley of blessing. As God has blessed us, and He has so richly blessed us, uh, sometimes we need to be reminded of that. But in that reminding, uh, we need to understand our responsibilities. And uh, our responsibilities are great, even though we sometimes ignore those responsibilities. Uh, we need to be reminded uh, of them uh, as Christians, as God's people. And sometimes we look out. To, I don't know if you ever do this. Maybe you're in a in a supermarket somewhere, or you're in a store somewhere, or just on the road somewhere, and you think, "Why do people do the things they do?" You ever, you ever think about that? You ever think why people say the things they say or uh, act the way they act? And sometimes it makes you scratch your head and you want to say, why, why in the world would you do that? Why in the world would you say that? Why in the world would you act that way? And I know that there are a number of reasons uh, for that, but uh, I'm here to tell you the number one reason for it is sin. And I want you to know that uh, everybody that claims to be a Christian isn't necessarily a Christian. I want you to—I want to be really clear on this because I think it's very, very important to, um, when it comes to our society, when it comes to ultimately our nation, and, and, and of course when it comes to the world. There are a lot of religions in the world. And those religions believe different things. Uh, they believe in uh, ultimately in different gods, uh, ultimately in different heavens, and ultimately in different ways to get to that heaven. So um, Paul made a statement, and I love this statement. He made this statement on more than one occasion. He said, I would that you not be ignorant, brethren. Now, sometimes we use the word ignorant in a derogatory remark, like when we're talking about somebody that they're, they're just ignorant. But ignorance isn't necessarily a, a bad thing. Ignorance is just the lack of knowledge. Uh, there are lots and lots and lots of things that I'm ignorant of. And uh, somebody was talking to me the other day about, uh, uh, about uh, car and Something, something to do with an engine, and, and this is what I heard. Wah, 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 wah. I have no idea what you're talking about. You can keep using those words. You can keep saying those things. But I promise you, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. You can open up the, you can open up the hood, and you can point those things out to me. All I know is, when I open that hood, I want everything in there to work right. If everything in there doesn't work right, I'm going to take it to somebody that's not ignorant. Right? So it just means a lack of knowledge. There's a lot of things that we're ignorant of. But Paul said, 
I don't want you to be ignorant when it comes to biblical things. I don't want you to be ignorant when it comes to truth. I don't want you to be ignorant when it comes to doctrine. I don't want you to be ignorant when it comes to godly things. So what is Paul saying? Paul's saying, and ultimately God's saying, I want you to be in the know. I want you to have the knowledge of the Word of God. And so in our world today, it's unfortunate, but we have kind of taken, we've taken religion and we've taken what we've called Christianity today and we've just balled it all up together. And we've made it, we made it this great big conglomerate and we call it religion or we call it Christianity and it's really gotten away from us. And when I mean it got away from us, I mean it's gotten away from the Word of God. Tell you something that's really obvious, that's really logical. Two things that are different can't be the same. That's deep, right? Two things that are different can't be the same. If you take a dog and you take a cat, one is a dog. One is a cat. It's interesting. Didn't dogs and cats play football recently? I think they did. Yeah, anyways. But dogs, you got... Do- no, it's just for one person in the church. So dogs and cats, what are they? They are different, right? This dog can't be a cat. This cat can't be a dog. I mean, they're absolutely opposite. They're different. Two plus two, right? We learned that pretty early in school, I hope. Two plus two equals four. That means... 2 plus 2 can't equal 3, and 2 plus 2 can't equal 6. It can't equal 5. It can't equal 10. Why? Because there's 2 plus 2 equals one thing. Now, God gives us His Word. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about man's Word today. I'm talking about God's Word today. So what does God's Word say? God's Word says there is one way. So I want you to know something. What is that way? Don't guess. You don't take out a coin and flip it, you know, and, 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 you know, take a 50-50 chance. Know what God's Word says. Jesus said this in John chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice the definite articles. He didn't say I am a way or a truth or a life. He said I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now listen to what, listen to what Jesus said. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say unequivocally? He said, I am the only way. Now, that's a statement, folks. See, the Bible also says there's one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. So the only way to get to the Father, you see, we want to talk about God. We want to talk about how much we love God. We want to talk about how much uh, uh, we live for God. We want to talk about God, 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 God. But then we want to keep Jesus out. Understand this. You can't get to the Father without going through the Son. Now, now either either God's Word is true or it isn't. You don't get to pick and choose. So God's Word is the truth, and if God's Word is the truth, then God said there's one way, then every other way is wrong. Now that's not a prideful statement. 
That's just a truthful statement. That's not a, a statement that you th- we throw in the face of other people. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, and what the Bible says is final. Not what we think the Bible says, but what the Bible says is final. So if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you are saved. Your sins are forgiven. One day when you're absent from this body, you'll be present with the Lord. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want you to know something. Every other way is wrong. So what does that mean? That means Islam is wrong. That means Buddhism is wrong. That means Shintoism is wrong. That means every other religion. They don't all lead to the same spot. Or the same hub. All these spokes don't lead to the same hub. They're different gods. That means they're false gods. I'm here to tell you, you can get it even closer than that when it comes to denominations. I'm not going to get ugly. I'm just telling you. If you believe that baptism is the way to heaven, then you're wrong. According to the Bible. If you believe in work salvation, then you're wrong. Why? Because the Bible says that Jesus is the way. Plus nothing, minus nothing. We don't get to heaven by being good. And by the way, I've asked this question to multiple preachers and to multiple people who believe in a works-based salvation. How much works is enough? How much? If you're going to work for your salvation, how much do you need to work for your salvation? Because when we get to heaven, is there going to be a scale? Is God going to say, well, you know, you didn't work quite enough. I mean, you just missed it by one deed. Isn't that crazy? It's not not based on our works. It's based on Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad for that? I promise you, I'm glad for that. Because I know there's not enough good works that I can do to get, my, to get me to heaven. I know that it's all based on Jesus Christ's righteousness, not my righteousness. So, if you're saved, and you know Christ is your Savior, and you're part of the church, then I want you to know something. You've got some responsibility. This idea, well, we have a, we have a skewed idea of liberty in our, in our, in our, uh, in our churches today. We have this idea that I'm saved and now my sins are forgiven, so that gives me a license. And I can just go do what I want to do, because I have a license. I mean, I can, I can go out and do this. Well, I, I can do that. Why? Because I'm forgiven. I'm already forgiven, past, present, future. Hey, I can go out and do what I want to do, because I have this license, basically license to sin. Here's the problem. The Bible says we do have liberty, but we're not to use that liberty for the occasion of the flesh. Those sinful things that we do, we don't have an excuse. And by the way, with everything that we do, there's consequences. Everything that we do, there are consequences. You see, in the world today, there are things you can get away with because people aren't all seeing. People aren't all knowing. People, I mean... You can get away with it. You can drive down the interstate at 110 miles an hour if you want to. Until you get caught. 
Now, you may be able to do it and get, do it and do it. I say it all the time. I'm driving down the interstate. I, I mean, I'm going, I, I avoid them. By the way, I'm the back roads guy. I cannot stand the interstate. I will take an extra hour to get where I'm going to stay away from the nut jobs. And so I, I, I'm driving down. If I am driving down the interstate, you see people go by, whoosh. It's like, holy smokes. This is what I always say. I always tell my kids this. Listen, as a springer, if you do that, you're going to jail. If I'm doing five miles over the speed limit, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting pulled over. I guarantee, guarantee I got this target on my, on my vehicle that if I... But these guys, are shoot, and you think to myself, how do they get away with it? They don't. They don't. Eventually, they get caught. But I want you to know something. It may take 10 times. It may 20 times. It may, it may take years before they get caught. But eventually, they get caught. But guess what? One time, you're caught with God. One time. Because God sees everything. So there are consequences to our actions. There are consequences to how we act and react. There are consequences to our tongue. How we speak. God is watching all these things and God is a record keeper. I promise you. Now I'm glad today that there are consequences to good things too that we do. Because God rewards us for when we do the things that we're supposed to do. And sometimes those rewards are not here. Sometimes those rewards uh, are not until we get to heaven. And by the way, those rewards are in heaven are far better than rewards we have down here. Far better. Because when we get our reward here, what does God say? You've got your reward. When we get there to heaven, praise the Lord, for, for the rewards that God gives us when we get there. But understand, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility... I, when, I do, when I do marriage counseling or I do counseling with um, uh, young families that have young children, I say, listen to me. I say, you got, res- you got responsibilities. As a husband, you got responsibilities. As a wife, well, I don't want those responsibilities. Then don't get married. Well, I don't want those responsibilities as a dad or mom. Then don't have children. But when you do, you have responsibilities. That nothing, I mean, nothing bothers me more than neglect when it comes to children. Absolute mind-boggling to me. How people can absolutely, you ever, you ever see them coming out of Walmart or coming out of Kroger or coming out of a, a, a grocery store somewhere? I mean, I'm here to tell you, a kid comes out in the parking lot, shoo! And there's, there's mom pushing a cart and dad's on the telephone. Tell you one of the most dangerous places to be. Let me tell you one of the most dangerous places to be is in the parking lot. People are backing out. People are driving like they're on the interstate. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable to me. And I'm thinking to myself, what, "Hello, I want to run the parents over. Your kid's going to get going to get run over." I love the parents that the kid goes to go somewhere and they grab him by the nap and neck. Yeah, that's good parenting right there. They're watching over their children. Isn't that our responsibility? That's not somebody else's responsibility. I say it all the time when it comes to children of the church. Let me tell you, I'm glad the church is here, but it's not the church's job to raise your children. God didn't tell the church to raise the children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God told the parents to do that. Now, the church is a resource. Praise the Lord for that. Church is there to help. Praise the Lord for that. Youth pastor is there to help. Praise the Lord for that. But I'm going to tell you something. It's mom and dad's responsibility. I want you to know, 
according to the Word of God, there's some responsibilities as a Christian. The way we need to act and react. We've already talked about some of them. We talked about um, we, need to re- we need to rely on the Lord. Trust the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on the Lord understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He'll do what? He'll make your way straight. He didn't say that. Because sometimes it's not straight. Sometimes it's bumpy. Sometimes it's curvy. Sometimes it's hilly. Sometimes it's mountainous. I mean, sometimes it is rough. But he did say he'll direct your path. He'll show you which way to go. He'll be there with you along the way. Hebrews says he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. So we need to rely uh, on the Lord. It's a very, very important responsibility that we have as God's people. And then we've been talking about rallying with the Lord, rallying with the Lord, unity. Acts chapter number 2, Acts chapter number 2, verse 42. Acts 2 and 42, the early church. The Bible says this about the early church, and they, who's they? They are those that are in verse 41. That's the they. See the end of verse 31, or 41, it says, added unto them about 3,000 souls. And then you go into verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need does love the fact when people say, let me tell you something, preacher, we need to get back to the early church. Well, go home, put your, put your home on the market, put your possessions on the market, sell them all and give them to the church. Well, preacher, I don't think we need to go back to the early church. You know, just, listen, we need to go back to some of the things, right? But uh, they gave and gave and gave as men needed. In verse 46 is where I want you to see. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness. And watch this. Singleness of heart. Just, do you notice in, these, in this just short passage here, he talked about togetherness. He talked about... Uh, uh, singleness. He talked about things common. He talked about things being in one accord. What is Acts chapter 2 verses 41 through 46 talking about? It's talking about unity. It's talking about rallying together. Rallying together. You see it in football, right? As you, if you like football, you like to watch, I like to watch college football and and, and let me tell you something. When somebody has the ball, let me tell you what everybody does. They rally to the ball. Somebody catches the ball, the opposite team, everybody available tries to tackle that guy. Why? Because that's their job to rally to the ball. Whoever has the ball, that's who they go after. That's who they want. We need, as God's people, to rally together. Rally together as one, a singleness, togetherness, in one accord, in uh, unity uh, of the faith. Uh, look, look with me, if you would, in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. See, 
We talked about rallying, and we need to rally around the doctrine of Scripture. We talked about that last week, rallying around the doctrine of Scripture. The second thing we need to rally around, I think this is so important, I think we've lost sight of it. But not only rally around the doctrine of Scripture, we need to rally against the deeds of Satan. We need to rally against the deeds of Satan. We have an enemy. When I say we, I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about God's people. We have an enemy. That enemy isn't the church around the corner. That enemy isn't another denomination. That enemy isn't a, isn't a, a brother and sister in Christ. I mean, we've, we fight with each other like we ain't got any sense whatsoever. It's absolutely unbelievable to me. I'm talking about the church. And we fight like we're one another's enemies. And we end up getting schisms and cliques and all this nonsense in the church when God said that we ought to, as much as is in us, we ought to live peaceably with all men, especially of those that are of the household of faith. If we can't get, a, if we can't get along as God's people, we're in trouble. Let me tell you something. Church, if you ain't caught it yet, we're in trouble. We're in trouble in our country. We're in trouble in our nation. We're in trouble in our world today. Because the church has stopped being the example that it's supposed to be to this world. And so what has the church done? The church is becoming more and more like the world. We look like the world. We talk like the world. We act like the world. The statistical data that used to be different from the church and the world are closer and closer than ever before. Things that used to be something that the church would say, whoa, wait a minute, that's not right. We now say, well, preacher, just calm down a little bit. It'll be okay. It's not a big deal. Because let me tell you what Satan wants to do. He wants to just get a little bit in here and a little bit in there. And guess what? When you do a little bit and a little bit and a little bit, it becomes a lot. Does it not? It becomes a lot. If you start, <clears throat> I like to collect change. I never spend my change. If I'm in somewhere and uh, something is, you know, something is something in a penny, and I have a penny, I don't ever use it. I give them another dollar. Probably why there's a chain shortage. But anyways, <clears throat> I get that 99 cents back. And then I put that 99 cents in my pocket. And when I get home, at the end of the day, I take all my change out of my pocket. Sometimes there's a whole load of it. And I, and I put it in a container. And then when we go to go on vacation, everybody's really glad that I keep my change. So I pull my change out and I count it. Man, let me tell you, a penny ain't much until you got a lot of them together. A nickel ain't much until you get a lot of them together. A quarter is just a quarter. What can you buy with a quarter? Not much. You might be able to find one of those bump, you know, those gumball machines that you can put the quarter in or some runs, or usually those are 50 cents now. But I mean, usually you could put and, and turn it and get a little bit of handful. You can't buy nothing for a quarter, but let me tell you something, four quarters is a dollar. And I'm telling you, they add up quick. And when you get things together, and those things get together, they become bigger and bigger and bigger. And let me tell you what Satan has been successful with. Getting just a little bit in. Getting just a little bit in. And that little bit has gotten bigger 
and bigger and bigger. And I'm telling you, we can go at it alone or we can go at it together with singleness of hearts, with things common in one accord as we fight against the wiles of the devil. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, the scripture says this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Look at verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I'll tell you something. You know what we've done? You know what Satan has done? I mean, he is clever. I mean, he is clever. What has he done? The, one of the greatest things that Satan's ever done is made himself disappear. He's made himself disappear. So, what's coming up? What's coming up before, what's coming up before, um, before uh, Thanksgiving? Halloween. Now, I'm not up here to dog anybody, and I'm not up here to preach a message on Halloween. I just don't get it. I never have got it. And I'm here to tell you what we do. As we get up, we get dressed up, and we got kids dressed up as devils and witches and warlocks and, and all these things, and they go out and, and, uh, and knock on doors and trick-or-treat. When I was a kid, I trick-or-treated. Okay? I did. Um, matter of fact, in our neighborhood, there was a guy that gave out. I don't know what's wrong with this guy. Maybe he was just really... Filthy rich. But he gave out those, you remember those dollar, silver, dollar coins? Instead of candy, he gave out those coins. Let me tell you something. He was, he was a block and a half from where I live when I used to live in town. We would literally go, that's how bad we were. We'd literally go and we'd, and of course he knew, I mean, he, this is, we were from a small town. We'd go home and change costumes. It's just a bad kid, I'm telling you. I mean, we do this as many times as we possibly could. I mean, you put these guys... So I went trick-or-treating as a kid. Mind you, I get it. But I'm here to tell you what we've done is we've made all this make-believe. And so, dress up like the devil. It's not a big deal. It's just, come on, preacher, you're, over, you're overreacting. I mean, there ain't no such thing as the devil anyways. I'm here to tell you a lot of people believe that today. And I'm here to tell you a lot of churches are teaching that today. I've got several books. One of them is called Erasing Hell. And it's, and it's, a, and it's really a, a, a magnum opus on how through the years we have, we have literally taken an eraser and just taken hell out of the Bible. I mean, we've taken hell out of the church. What has hell become? Let me tell you what hell has become. Nothing more than a cuss word. I've been in churches before where I preached on hell, and, and, and the preacher told me afterwards, or, or somebody told me afterwards, a kid said, oh, the preacher said hell. You want to know why I said that? Because it's just nothing but a cuss word anymore. Hell's not a real place anymore. Well, I'm here to tell you, it is a real place. It's not a place that was created for man. It was created for the devil and his angels. 
That's what it was created for. Well, I don't, I don't serve a God that would send anybody to hell. Me neither. Me neither. Because let me tell you something. If you die without Christ, you choose to die without Christ. It's your choice, not God's choice. God decided. God sent Jesus Christ. He came willingly and died upon the cross. Was buried and rose again. He shed His blood so that you could have life and that you could have it more abundantly. God wanted that relationship with you and provided the way. If you reject that, stop blaming it on God. It's not God's fault. It's our fault. And so this place called hell is a place that was created for the devil and his angels. But I want you to know something. The church, half the churches today don't even believe in it. But I'm telling you, it's a real place. And the devil is real. And he is on a warpath, church. And he is our true enemy. And he's doing everything he can to wreck our lives. We need to rally against the deeds of Satan. You better be familiar with them. Who is Satan? You ever asked that question? You ever asked that question and then answered it with the Bible? Don't Google it. Good night. You'll get all sorts of answers. Sometimes you ask other people, you get all sorts of answers. But who is Satan? Let me tell you who he is. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. He is powerful. He is powerful. Ephesians 2 and 2 calls him the prince of the power of the air. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 calls him the God of this world. You wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and against principalities and against the the rulers of the darkness of this world. Let me tell you something. It's a lot easier to fight somebody that you can see. Right? Flesh. I mean, you could see. Now, you still might lose the fight, but I understand something. If you can see them. You want to know one of the major issues? Now, there was a whole bunch of them. But you want to know one of the major issues in Vietnam? They hid. They were in holes. Matter of fact, they had to send these people in these holes. God bless those people. Send these people in these holes where these Viet Cong were hiding out. They were hiding. Let me tell you something. It's hard to fight somebody you can't see. God said, beware. Beware. I mean, he's powerful, church. I mean, he'll, he'll do everything he can to wreck your life. Now, I hear all the time people saying, well, you know, he's, he's like God. He's nothing like God. He is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. He, he cannot be everywhere at the same time. Let me tell you what Satan is. Satan is a created being. He was created by God. He was created as an angel. He was created to worship. He was created by God and fell. He fell because of pride. I mean, understand this. He was created by God. He's not equal with God. He is one of God's creations. He is powerful. But I want you to know something about His power. He didn't fall from heaven alone. See, though 
Though Satan, though Lucifer cannot be more than one place at one time, I want you to know something. Get this. If you don't understand this, I need you to grasp this. Satan cannot be here and, and be in Australia with a missionary at the same time. I hope we understand that. He can't, now, God can be everywhere at the same time, right? I mean, God, God can be here. He can be everywhere. He can be with us everywhere we go. So a lot of times when we say, well, the, really, the, 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 the devil, he's just all over me. Probably not. Probably not. Now, maybe one of his cohorts. Maybe one of his fallen angels. Because the Bible says he took one third. Well, how many is that, preacher? I, I don't know. Because I, I don't know how many angels there were. But I imagine there was quite a few. And he took one third of them with him. And so let me tell you what Satan has. He has himself. He has, uh, he has, his, uh, he has his demons. Uh, and let me tell you what else he has. You ready? It's upsetting. But he has people. He has people. He has flesh and blood. People that are willing to be used by the devil. You've seen them. You've probably confronted them. I'm telling you right now. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing when people are used by the devil. Used to try to wreck people's lives. Used to try to wreck churches. Used to try to wreck families. It happens all the time. Let me tell you what our problem is. Our eyes are close to it. Our eyes are close to it. Sometimes, spiritually, this is what we're like. We're, we... We take our glasses off so everything is fuzzy. And we look like this. Now, when I look like this, I can see Miss Charlotte. And I can see a little bit over here. I can see the Tylers and a little bit over here. I'm, but I can't see anybody over here. I can't see. You know what we call it? Tunnel vision. Tunnel vision. You ever seen somebody with tunnel vision? He can only do one thing at one time. You ever seen a waitress that has tunnel vision? It's like, sweetheart, you can, you can take, you know, you can bring me my drink and the other person's drink at the same time. You know, you, they can't do, I mean, you ever seen that? You ever seen them do that? I mean, they're focused, but they're only focused on this. And then, okay, then I'll get to you and I'll, and then I'll get to you. And, and sometimes spiritually we can, get our, we can get in trouble when we get tunnel vision. Because we can only see one thing. And we're missing all that's going on over here. And we're missing all that's going on over there. And things just... You ever do that? If you're a guy, you've done that. Over your head. I just went in the nursery before church and was telling Wendy something. And Corinne had said something. And, and then I left. And I thought she was talking to Wendy or, or Emma was in there. And so I left and I heard him talking about me. You know what the first thing I thought? I missed something. <laughs> so I went back in there and they told me what I'd missed. And, I, and that's what I said. Pew. You know why? Because I wasn't paying any attention. And sometimes when you're not paying attention, it's okay. Because sometimes you have to shut things out. When somebody's, you know, talking, you don't want to hear them. You can shut them out. Anybody have that ability? I know you do because I've seen you. But uh, you, you kind of shut. But let me tell you something. That's not always good spiritually. When you're shutting things out, when you're shutting things out spiritually, 
when you're shutting things down spiritually. Just because somebody said it doesn't mean you shut it down because you don't like that person. You better go to the Bible and find out what the Bible has to say about it. Because what the Bible has to say about it is final. And understand what the Bible says about Satan is that he's powerful. He's not all powerful, but he's powerful nonetheless. Not only is he powerful, but number two, he's persistent. He keeps coming and coming and coming. He does not give up. How do I know that? Jesus' temptation. He tempted Jesus three times. And after the third time that he tempted Jesus, Luke chapter 4 and verse 13. If you mark in your Bible, you ought to mark Luke chapter 4 and verse 13. What does it say? It says that basically Satan went away, but he only went away for a season. That means he was coming back. And if Satan is going to tempt Jesus, I promise you, you're not exempt. I promise you, you're not more spiritual than Jesus. And he's not going to, you can, win a, you can win a battle, and you can win a battle, and you can win a battle, just as soon as you let your guard down. You better be careful. You ever been paintballing? I remember we thought it was a great idea as a young couple to go paintballing. Paintballing is about the stupidest thing. If you ever got hit by a paintball, it hurts. What's the point? I mean, we're paintballing, and man, I, at the time, I, was, I mean, I was young, and I was jumping all over the place. You had to go try to get the flag from the other person. I mean, it was a big group activity we're having with our young couples, and I mean, we were just, I mean, I mean, I was, I liked the shooting the other people part. That part, that part I'm fine with. It's getting shot that hurts. So I'm, you know, we're paintballing, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm diving behind things. I, I'd break my hip now, but I'm diving behind things, and I'm in the bushes, and I, I mean, I'm avoiding everybody. And then they started coming, they st- so I laid down, and I'm laying fire for our, for our, for our flag. So nobody can get our, nobody, you get that flag, you, you lose. So I'm laying fire and shooting, so I'm not paying attention to my people. Why would I pay attention to my people? They're on my side. So boom, 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 I'm nailing people. Boom, I get shot in the back of the head. You know, you wear, you know, but they don't give you anything for the back of your head. And I'm telling you, I thought I was dead. I mean, really dead. And I'm thinking to myself, that I, I get up and I turn around and, hmm, it's on my side, my team. Oh, I'm sorry, I ran to shove it over your head. Shot me in the back of the head. The guy said, oh, sir, you're not out. I said, oh, yes, sir, I am out. <laughs> Last time I've been paintballing. But let me tell you something. You better pay attention all around you. You better pay attention in front of you, behind you, to the side of you. Why? Because enemy fire, and even friendly fire, can come from all directions. I'm telling you, the devil won't give up. He'll keep coming. He'll keep coming. He'll keep coming because he's persistent. Let me give you the last one. Not only is he powerful and persistent, but he is a predator. He is a predator. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says he's a roaring lion and walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Listen, he, 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 does, he does not want to have tea with you. He wants to wreck your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. You know what we've done? 
We've allowed them to get a foot in our homes. We've allowed them to get a foot in our churches. We've allowed them to get a foot in our nation, in our schools. We've allowed them to get a foot in so many areas of our life. Let me tell you something. The devil is good at what he does. He's good at what he does. He's a predator. And he has a purpose. And let me tell you that purpose is. For the lost, he already has them. He's not after the lost. You think there's so many people in this world. There's so many individuals in this world. And I don't understand how there can be. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people in this world that aren't saved. He's already got them. He's already got those people. So who is he after? He's after the Christians. He's after those that are saved. And his purpose. Let me... Let me give you these three things about his purpose. Number one, his purpose is deception. Any way he can deceive you. Any way he can trick you. I mean, he has deceived people even with the Word of God. Change a word here, change a word there. I mean, remember what he told Eve? Okay. I didn't really, he didn't really say, he didn't really mean that. Remember what Eve did? Just changed one word and changed everything, didn't it? Just changed one word. I understand something. You need to understand something. The devil will use the Bible if he can to trick you, to deceive you, to make you think that everything's okay. You know what he'll do? He'll try to make you comfortable before he ruins you. And if he can make you comfortable with him, You know what he can do? Transform himself into what? An angel of light. You see, you've got this idea that the devil's just ugly. He's got these horns and he carries this trident. His his tail is pitched. I mean, we got this Milton view of who the devil is. I'm going to tell you, the devil is deceptive. And he will deceive you if he can. If you let your guard down, he's deceptive. He's, uh, we, we see his purpose as deception. We see his purpose as distortion. Just distort the word of God. Just distort the church. Just distort. Just change it a little bit. Just make it a little bit. It's not all bad, preacher. It's not all bad. You gotta understand. We just gotta let people be. It's okay. People can be what they want to be. I'm telling you something. If God's against it, we ought to be against it. If God says it's wrong, then it's wrong whether you think it's wrong or not. If God says it's right, it's right whether you think so or not. We go by God's word, not by our opinion. Why? Because because people and the devil and his courts will distort things. And they'll make them seem what they really aren't. You ever met somebody? Man, you had a, a initial view of that person. Man, he's just a he's just a nice guy. I mean, he just I mean, he's got a good character. I mean, this I mean, he's just honest and he's got integrity. And man, a year later. You think to yourself, where did that guy go? You know, it's easy. 
You know, it's easy to learn the lingo. It's easy to be sheep in in wolf's clothing. Because you can come in, and let me tell you something, you can come in and learn how to talk. You can learn what it is to say I'm saved and, and that I'm spiritual and that, I, and that I pray and that I read God's Word. And it's easy for you to come in and dress right and look right and act right and talk right and be, listen, an actor. There are some people out there that can really act. You ever watch these actors who are just diverse? I mean, they can play a comedian, and they can play somebody that's serious, and they can play in dramas, and they, there's, not, there's not a whole lot of them that are very successful at it, but some of them are really, really good. Let me tell you, let me give you a good example. A politician. Now, they don't have to deceive much anymore. I mean, we like sheep have gone astray. I'm not here to tell you. We'll just do whatever they tell us to do. But I'm here to tell you, used to be, they had to lie up one side and down the other to convince people something. I'm going to do this. And they never do it. They never come through with it. But wait a minute. You said you were going to do this. Now, their re-election comes up and they say they're going to do it again. And we say, oh, okay. Didn't do it the first time. I bet he'll do it. I, I can almost guarantee he'll do it the next time. They're really good at distorting the truth. They're really good at distorting things. And the devil is an expert at it. And then he's an expert at destruction. Destruction. He wants to ruin everything. Everything. He's he's unhappy. He knows his doom is coming. He knows the lake of fire is forever. Get this clear and get this clear in your mind. He's not going to the lake of fire to rule. He's going to the lake of fire to suffer. This idea that the devil is the ruler of hell is nonsense. It wasn't created for him to rule. It was created for him to suffer in. And I'm here to tell you, he knows his doom is coming and he's trying everything he can to destroy whatever he can. And look around. He's successful. I mean, we better be careful. And as a church, we better rally together. Get together. Unite together. Why? Because the devil's on attack. And he wants to wreck everything. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heads are bowed this morning. Our eyes are closed. Maybe you're here this morning. You've never placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never been saved. You never had your sins forgiven. Can I tell you, God loves you. He loves you so much that He died for you and was buried and He rose again. And the Bible says that He's at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. You say, Preacher, please remember me in your prayers. I'm not sure I'm saved. But I want to be and I need to be. Would you, would you remember me in your closing prayer? Just slip your hand up this morning and right back down. I pray for you. I'm not going to come to where you are. I wouldn't embarrass you in any way. I just want to pray for you by need. I'm not sure about it, Preacher. Please remember me in your prayers. Maybe you're saved and you know Christ is your Savior. How awesome that is. But let me tell you something. With that salvation comes responsibility. And part of our responsibility is to rally together as God's people. God's people ought to be living in unity. God's people ought to be living in peace with one another. The enemy isn't one another. The enemy is the devil. Stop fighting one another. Start uniting together and standing 
against the wiles of the devil. Let's stand together, head bowed, eyes closed, piano playing this morning. Hymn invitation, can I invite you to come? We have an old-fashioned altar here at our church so that you can do business with God. Maybe God's speaking to your heart about a specific need or a decision that you need to make or whatever it is that you might be facing in your life this morning. Let me tell you something, God can take care of it. He can do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Give it over to Him. The Bible says casting all your care upon Him because He cares for you. He cares for you this morning. Place it at the feet of Jesus and He'll take care of it for you. If you need to come for whatever reason this morning as the piano plays, you come.